DNB Tech Minute gives you the day's top tech headlines, from the big names in Silicon Valley to the halls of power. If it's making news in tech, we've got it. Check out TNB Tech Minute in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. Coming up on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, Time Inc. Chief Operating Officer Jen Wong joins us to talk about Snapchat, distributed content, and the growth of branded content. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Jack Marshall. I'm joined today by WSJ's Media and Marketing Bureau Chief, Amol Sharma. Amol, how are you? What's up, Jack? Recovered from the big game Sunday. I know you're a big Patriots fan. I didn't have to recover, man. It was my team. (laughs) Historic! Uh, we are lucky to be joined today by Jen Wong, who is Chief Operating Officer and President of Digital at Time Inc. Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. Right, so Time Inc., uh, huge publishing company, huge brands, obviously, Time, Sports Illustrated, People, many other media brands. Um, I just wanted to start by talking a little bit about your role. You joined as President of Digital, I think, a little over a year ago. Uh, were subsequently appointed to the newly created role of Chief Operating Officer late last year, I believe. You yep, correct that's me on right. this if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but obviously, it's sort of an interesting and potentially challenging time for media companies right now, especially sort of quote-unquote traditional media companies. Uh, so just wanted to start by asking about your remit and just sort of a little bit more about what you're up to over there. Yeah, sure. Um, so the way I think about my roles, I spend a lot of time thinking about growth and possibility for the company in a lot of different directions. So I joined in January, and my first remit was for the core sort of media business, where we have a pretty established publishing and advertising business. How do we continue to grow that? And we're well on our way there, so I feel really good about that part of the business. As I uh, took on this elevated role as the COO, I also started um, took over the consumer marketing part of the organization, where I think there's a lot of opportunity there. If you think about our business, we have about 30 million subscriptions. We're almost as big as Netflix, Spotify. Um, We actually run a lot of the consumer marketing for the publishing industry, especially for magazines. And today we just use that infrastructure to sell magazines. So if you're just to think about that a little bit more broadly, we have a capability that we could apply to something else. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. That's an area of the organization that is to come. That's what I would say from a growth perspective. Okay. Uh, one area I wanted to touch on, and I know we've spoken about previously, is the foundry, yep. uh, which is sort of your content marketing arm. Obviously, that's sort of a hot uh, topic in media right now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to get a sense of of sort of where that's headed. I, th- I think you're over 100 people now, sort yep. of creating branded content and operating websites on behalf of publishers as well. Yep. Oh, sorry, brands as well. Um, so, I mean, is that sort of a, a growing part of the business? Yeah, that's probably our biggest growth engine on the digital advertising side. It almost doubled last year to this year, and already into the beginning of 2017, it's on that same pace. It's really on a tear. Um, it's almost 150 people now, and it's growing really, really fast. So I think it's it's clearly an area that folks come to us for. It's distinctive to us. We have brands. We have a content engine. We have distribution on social that we bring in to the fold for our advertisers that continues to grow at an explosive rate. So they benefit from all of that. Uh, So we feel really confident that that can be a big business for us. Uh, That market's going to double, I think, to $9 billion probably by 2018. We think we can have a good piece of it. When you say a big business, I mean, we – to step back a little bit, obviously, if you look at if you look at Timex numbers, it's still 
that that line that says print and print and related advertising, whatever yep. is like three quarters or, or something of revenue, yeah. uh, of ad revenues, I should say. Um, so, what's your what are what are the bets that you're most confident will be like needle moving bets in the next five years? Is is native in that category? Yeah. I mean, to to make that from twenty percent or whatever it is now to a much bigger chunk of revenue over time? Yeah, I'd say there's three areas that we're betting on for digital advertising that we feel really good about. So growth driver number one is native and content. If you talk to any CMO today, the number one thing they'll say is, I know I need content, I want to do content, I'm not good at it, and I don't have any distribution. So that's an area where we see a, a pretty sizable business. The second is people-based targeting and audience targeting. So that's an area where we traditionally have not had an offering. And when you look at where a lot of money has gone to walled gardens who have people-based targeting, literally deterministic targeting, Gen Wong, with device attribution. Hey, I found Gen Wong on mobile and Gen Wong on desktop, and here's what worked. Are we talking about Facebook right now? <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can name them. Yeah, um, uh, among others. And uh, – <laughs> You know, that a lot of money's gone there. And for us, our acquisition of Viant and now Adelphic allows us to play in that game um, on the web where we can find specific targets and have cross device attribution. So that's a, another bet that we've made in that I think agencies are looking for alternatives uh, to Facebook and Google. And we think that we can be an alternative to them. Uh, as you know, and there are others who are playing in this space, but most web publishers do not have people-based data, and that we think distinguishes us for our audience offering. So that's the second bet we've made. The third is video. So clearly, we have invested a substantial amount of money in growing our video audience. It's been explosive. Uh, we have a pre-roll business that's fine and growing. We also launched uh, the Pen OTT network. So it's early days in getting into the living room, but we're real believers that that will open up, and then we'll bring that inventory back for our advertisers. Do you think it's interesting on the on the ad tech side? Do you think more publishers publishers should invest in owning their own ad tech, especially sort of as we talk about the relationship to some of the Googles and the Facebooks of the world? I don't think it makes sense to recreate an ad server in general. Um, I would say that I think most publishers who use Google would like them to show more product features and investment in DFP. And I think that's fair if you see what happens on mobile. I mean, now we have fast pages with AMP and sometimes you get white boxes. Yep. And that's not yep. good for anybody, right? So I think there's innovation you know, from the service side or, you know, the service provider that I think makes sense there. In terms of owning ad tech, the reason why we bolted on a demand side platform is because we own data. It's because we bought the Vine asset. If we bought a DSP without the data, it would just be a generic DSP. It wouldn't, we wouldn't add any value to it. And that's why you see a lot of challenges in the ad tech market because there's no distinguishing feature. Might have great tech, might have accumulated some scale with limited data, but ultimately, if you don't have that data layer, you can't compete. So, just, can I just pause on that? Yeah. Jack, Jack is the ad tech whiz in here, <laughs> so let me just so I can unpack for sure. people who aren't um, as familiar with this. Is the idea with the um, with the Adelphic Viant connection that you're the people you're selling, I guess, are the aggregate of the audience that Time Inc has across its various publications, right? And so is it 
is the idea that – walk me through a use case yeah. for a typical marketer where there's a, a specific enough category that they can target that's still going to be of relevance to them when they're doing a significant campaign across yep. – Across your portfolio. So the data set is actually bigger than the Time Inc. audience. Vine itself has 1.2 billion profiles and in the U.S. about 700 million device IDs. So it has its own graph. We put the Time Inc. audience into that graph. That means our 100 plus million expireds with home address, our 30 million actives, they went into that file to enrich it. So now we have 250 million individual people in the U.S. So that's what we start out with. If you're an advertiser, what's cool about people-based targeting is you can come with your own CRM file. Let's say you're an insurance company and you want to upsell certain policyholders, but you have to get the exact person because you're trying to upsell them. You can match against the database and run creative and you can optimize it to the person. And you can optimize it across platform because we have the device IDs, right? Whereas normally if you they saw something on Safari on iOS, you just wouldn't know. And so your marketing ROI greatly improves because you can optimize at a very, very detailed level. That is the advantage that Google and Facebook have. So were you getting that um, that feedback with in using Viant that it would be – it would be helpful to have this this DSP bolt on and have a little bit more self serve, I guess, for people to do that. To, yeah. to figure out how they want to target audiences. We, in speaking with our agency partners, and also at the time that we bought Vine, we knew that with the rapid movement to programmatic, we needed a self serve capability to transact against the data. And it's something that our agency partners really wanted, and we didn't have around the data. So we we kind of knew that we would need to to develop that capability, and Adelphic is a great bolt-on. And they're already certified by a number of agencies. They actually have really good technology. We have the data layer. We'll put the two things together. So let's talk a bit about uh, distributed content, uh, which, again, is obviously a a hot topic right now in media. Um, One of the things that interests me, and there was a report issued, I, I think, a week or two ago by a uh, digital publishing trade body, Digital Content Next, that sort of talked about the some of the revenue that's coming through those channels. Yeah. It seems to me that audiences are clearly there. Um, you know, plenty of publications are, are building up huge audiences on Facebook and, and other places. Um, so I just wondered how you kind of look at those platforms when it comes to both audience and then also, I guess, the revenue piece, which it seems has been sort of slower to, to ramp up. I'd say philosophically, we lean into those platforms and continue to grow audience on them. And, uh, you know, we're cautious about making sure that we can do our business has good margins and can grow, but we've leaned into them. And the benefit to us is that when we grow our native distribution, we roll in all of the audience and distribution that we've invested in growing on Facebook and Instagram, and we bring all of that to our advertiser. So that actually is a substantial business for us. That's the business powered by the foundry, which does the creative and the distribution. So we feel pretty good about that. The margins work for us, and we'll continue to invest in that. Um, You know, would that alone sustain our business? No. It's one of three drivers I told you that we were going after. So, But it is a substantial piece of the puzzle. So you mentioned video as well. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, again, it's sort of been a hot area, especially with the platforms, you know, Facebook, YouTube. Um, again, some of those have sort of had the ability to monetize perhaps more successfully than some others. 
Um, although, you know, Facebook is now sort of rolling out its own monetization products yeah. for video as well. Um, so how do you see that sort of fitting into to Time's transitions, should we say? I mean, video is editorially or content-wise our top priority uh, to grow because the desire for video and video ad products is insatiable. Uh, so for us, it's really important, and I think there's going to be a lot of money moving into video in all digital formats. Um, you know, in the short run, as we grow our video audience and social platforms, we our native video follows that, and that's really valuable to us. So that helps grow the foundry in our native business. So that alone motivates us to continue to put video on platforms and grow audiences. Should mid-roll or other kind of ad formats open up on Facebook or other platforms that adds even more incremental value? That's great. Uh, but today, just on native video alone, it's um, you know it's important to us. So when you say native video, you mean sort of branded video, branded, branded video. content? Yep. Okay, we're going to stop for a quick break. Stay tuned. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Um, so, Jen, I wanted to ask about uh, Snapchat, another hot digital platform, and one uh, which Time Inc. has been working with for, I think, over a year now as yep. part of its Discover program. Longer, yeah. Longer? When did that begin, that relationship? I think 15 Okay. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to get a sense of, you know, how that relationship has evolved. Um, you know, obviously, it sounds like that began sort of prior to your time at the company. Um, but obviously, it's attracting a lot of interest right now, you know, getting ready, gearing up for an IPO. Um, so, yeah, how, how has that relationship sort of evolved over the past year or so? Yeah, I mean, we have been on the plat- the Discover platform since day one. And, uh, you know, we've been really happy with the performance of our channel uh, for us, if you look at the demographics, the vast majority are in the 13 to 24 age range, which is great for a brand like people. I mean, for a legacy or heritage publisher, you're often defending the fact that you have a large millennial audience in your digital footprint, which we have. But when you see a brand like people thrive on Snapchat with younger age demos, it's just conclusive, right? We we have uh, we continue to have a multi generational brand. So for us, it's been invaluable. Um, you know, the practice of being on Discover is great because it's a totally different format. It's hard. It's definitely a unique format, but I feel like it's an important one that's here to stay. And so we feel privileged to have been able to take a crack at it pretty early on. Do you think it's interesting, as you say, I mean, obviously Snapchat's audience skews younger. Um, and I just wonder if the audience that is coming through platforms such as Snapchat is sort of additive or if younger, you know, readers or viewers, however you want to describe them, are sort of, you know, coming to brands like people for the first time through those platforms and what, and how you kind of think about that as a business, I guess. I think that certain parts of the audience are additive because we don't have a lot I mean, our sites already over-index on, let's say, core millennials, 18 to 34. But for that even younger segment, 
that's not a as rich a target for us on the web. So that is really valuable for us. Is, are you uh, troubled at all by the um, deceleration in, in user growth that was that was disclosed as part of the uh, uh, S one filing for for Snapchat? Yeah, I I don't. I'm I'm pretty bullish on the platform. I think they're at least from what I understand outside in that. They're making uh, substantial investments in content and in areas that I think will continue to create uh, return visitation for the platform. Our channels had really nice um, growth, so we've, you know, we've certainly felt pretty good about the platform. And do you feel like the the um, the ad format basically of Discover is has been largely successful? Do you think that's 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 engaging, and has the has that been has that proven to be better than? Uh, you know, whatever the other options are yeah. in digital and in video right now. I think it's a really yeah. great format. I think like the full screen, you know, vertical video kind of format is a great format. My only ask is that I wish the whole industry could get together and agree on a format like that so that there were some standards and then and, and it was easier to serve. I mean, the burden on advertisers, you just saw Mark Pritchard's um, speech at the IAB. It's, it, it's a burden to have to custom make content and formats for every platform it's and it's a great format and maybe it's something that should be adopted more broadly um you know on other platforms but because the platforms are all at war nobody wants to comply so well i mean and they all have their own ways of measuring themselves and indeed but, but they're also different i mean it'd be, it's, it would be hard to imagine a format say they it would be great if they all show up to the digital upfronts or the television upfronts or something and i'll say here's Google, Facebook, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Pinterest, whatever. They all, yeah. They're all going to do this one vertical thing on mobile. But it, <clears throat> it seems like they're also so different that it, as platforms that it would be tough to, to standardize. It would make a lot more money move over, I guess. Is yeah. The, yeah. Is yeah. Your, it would also yeah. make it easier for publishers who have substantial distribution on these platforms to put together all that inventory. It's very hard for us today. In theory, you get access to it, but it's hard from a creative point of view. There's a lot more work in it. But is that also sort of the opportunity as well? I mean, I know these platforms talk about, you know, the best creative is sort of more quote-unquote native yeah. to those platforms. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's sort of a, a double-edged double sword. sword so yeah. yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, we, we produce editorial content that is native to every platform, so we respect the fact that, um, you know, there is native content, native in format works. Um, but in mobile, I just got to think there's room for a little bit more harmonization. Um, like the Facebook Canvas unit looks a lot like the vertical video unit. They're not that far off. It's interesting. Another thing I find interesting as well is everybody talks about sort of trying to move TV dollars to digital. Yeah. And, you know, Facebook for a long time was sort of trying to figure out how to monetize video for years, actually. And it seems like everybody's sort of arrived at this place where we're just sort of emulating TV advertising ultimately. Yeah. Again, to your point, you know, yeah. maybe it's vertical, maybe it's not, but it's still sort of fundamentally what we've been doing for, for 50 years, right? TV is very durable from my perspective and certainly in speaking to agency partners. I mean, I, I would love that money to move over even faster and I do think as viewership changes, like it, you know, it's starting to go down and it will move, but it's very it's very known the measurement has been the same for a long time. It's consistent, and it's very comfortable 
for advertisers from what I've observed. As an and aside, it, what was your favorite uh, Super Bowl ad? We're going to put out the results of our online Oh, for the tomorrow. ads? Yeah. Um, good question. There are a lot of really good ones. 84 I mean, Lumber, probably. Yeah, that was mysterious to me. I thought they, <laughs> I went to their site and I couldn't even get through. Yeah. The site was they crashed. crashed. It was crash. totally yeah, crashed. Yeah, yeah. And it was amazing because they're a regional lumber company and it was a Pennsylvania. Spot, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jack were... wrote a, Jack wrote a story trying to understand their marketing strategy and it, it was it was like a written way of just putting a bunch of question marks into a story and it's like, <laughs> it was like so there well. must be a reason <laughs> um but uh you know I, I wanted to ask about your sales uh ad sales reorganizations yeah. we've written it seems like a couple of stories every yeah. every couple of months there's some sort of internal reorganization <laughs> happening yeah. and i'm trying to gather what the big picture is here because a skeptic on Wall Street would look at those things and say, you've got this duopoly eating digital advertising and these like massive structural problems in the entire publishing landscape. And is it is it really a matter of changing the mechanics of selling ads or industry specific group selling ads that's going to that's going to make a big difference? Or maybe you have to do both. But I just yeah. uh, that's something that I wanted to get your yeah. thoughts on. I think it is. I call it um, more like getting out of our own way. Uh, so it's like <laughs> step one is to do that. Um, so look, we, we used to have a really old publishing, almost holding company-like structure. Like imagine like 22 cottage industries. You have an editor and a publisher and a siloed business. We would call an advertiser 22 times with a small bag that had, you know, call it, name the brand, people, SI on it individually. Advertisers they don't buy that way anymore, especially in a declining market for print, right? They want fewer, better, bigger. They've made that very clear. Efficiency is really important to them, too. They want even more automation in how they buy, and fewer, bigger, better allows them to do that. You do an upfront deal, and then you execute against The it. last 10 seconds could have just been said about cable television, too. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, um, so you know, we, we had to reorganize around categories so that we brought – uh, enterprise selling. So when somebody visits a client, they bring every brand in the timing portfolio, every audience, and every product we have. And we have a lot of products now, right? Once upon a time, we had a page in a magazine and then maybe some display advertising on our site. Okay, now we have native, native video, pre-roll, audience targeting, name the audience that you want, on-site and off-site. It's, it's gotten a lot more complex. Now, that's the right product set that we've developed over the last year. Any portal or large digital player has that. But now you overlay that with 22 brands, and it, it is a complex structure. But what's most important is that somebody is like the central point for the client, knows everything about the client, and then brings in experts. And if you think about Google, that's how they reorganized to sell, right? So it's been a gradual process over the last year. We did a couple of categories. We did some more categories, and now we've completed that. Um, so that's that's what took so long is this gradual move toward consolidation and the categories. And it's really hard. I mean, that is so fundamental to the publishing industry. It's like doing deep, deep surgery. But to your point, brands uh, want to buy that way, right? I mean, it's not like you're yeah. just sort of fighting anything right. on, on that side of the table. Right. But yeah, I think I mean, we. You mean we, it's surgery because these are like fiefdoms unto themselves that don't want to necessarily. It's surgery because you've operated yeah. in one way for so long, and then you have to completely change everything, and that's people, incentives, 
infrastructure, how you book an ad, how you package an ad, how you deliver an ad, all of it. It's really, really fundamental. How does that relate to the editorial side of the business as well? Because I think I'm right in saying that you sort of did a similar thing with edit. You centralized to a degree um, sort of, I guess, desks around certain topics which you could then publish content to different brands. Yeah, we did the same thing, the same mindset on editorial so that brands would share and collaborate. You know, when you... Uh, you have a bureau, so you in your bureau you can think about stories and make sure there's not duplicative coverage, et cetera. But across our brands, we weren't thinking that way. Oh, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm presuming yeah. here, but uh, you know we don't we didn't have that kind of coordination across our brands. They just sort of um, did their own thing, and sometimes you'd see duplicative work. The other thing was we wanted to motivate the brands to share more and to use each other's content to grow engagement and to be willing to throw traffic across the social handles, not even have it come to their site, but have people promote travel and leisure. And that's good for audience growth. And that's also good for delivering ads. Speaking of edit and uh, content and audience growth, have you, um, there's been a lot of heat in publishing about the Trump effect on audience growth and on subscriptions for certain newspapers. Uh, have you seen any of that at Time or People, either in the, the online traffic or in subscriptions? Yeah, we've seen um, – I mean, Time's traffic has just been explosive. I mean, January was an all-time high, and uh, it was – it's unbelievable. It's like 65 million. I can get the actual numbers, but it's extraordinary what's happened. The level of engagement's huge. So um, we're absolutely seeing that. Um, you know, we're also seeing, you know, early signs that rea- responses to our creative for subscription – are going up because of, you know, any messaging that's about basically real news and that effect that you're seeing at like the New York Times. So it's an intentional strategy around around the creative to, to, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's core to the brand Mm -hmm. and I think it's a moment where people really are, it's top of mind. They really care. They want to show that they care and, um, that helps us with the subscriptions. Has it been, um, I, I assume in November it was, it, it, would have been a, a real spike after the election, but has it has it kept up or it, has it moderated? Yeah. No, I mean I just looked at it recently. Like it, it's really now. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So one just changing direction a little bit. I I believe you you launched another video brand this week. Is that correct? Coinage or. Ah, uh, yeah, we announced Coinage. You announced which it, which is in partnership with an advertiser. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't aware, so it's branded. Yeah, um, but just it's more not bro- it's not branded. It's it's uh, it's something that the editors wanted to do, but we hadn't uh, we had an advertising partner come in to underwrite the launch. I see. Okay. Um, yeah, just broadly, I mean, we've asked this to a lot of guests that we've had o- yeah. on the podcast over the past year or so. Um, but it seems like sort of the trick in online publishing in 2016 and 2017 is just to kind of spin out as many brands as possible or to sort of divide your, your audience into these little yeah. niches, spin up Facebook pages. Um, I, I guess a question I have is this is just carried on and it just keeps yeah. on happening. <laughs> like how many, how many brands are too many brands? Like how can yeah. consumers sort of keep up with, with all these different yeah. outlets? We have a lot of brands organically and they're all very strong brands. So we're pretty uh, cautious about adding more brands because we have very powerful brands. And to survive in the portfolio, like, you have to really have a distinctive position. Uh, so, you know, we brought in some like Hello Giggles, which I think is a very distinctive brand. Or we've invested behind some new ones like The Drive. 
where we didn't have an auto or motto, which we think is distinctive under time. Um, you know, coinage is one of those where we felt like there was an interesting angle in personal finance that we hadn't cracked. And I think the area where we're willing to create new brands in particular is in video because it gives just a little bit more content freedom uh, when you when you use the moniker, a new moniker, especially in video. And I think video is one of those areas where you have both like channel brands and you have franchise brands and there's a lot of permission to have franchise brands, right? You think about TV, mm -hmm. it's like the social following for CBS is tied up in like how I met your mother and blah, 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 and all these franchises, less the master brand. So in video, I think we're more permissive. Okay. Uh, we're out of time, unfortunately, so we're going to have to wind it up there. But Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a ton. Join us next time on the Media Mix podcast. Thanks. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.